Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. It'll be the last time I tell you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, as far as I know, unless something changes. The next time we're in Ephesians, I should be saying, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, this morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. And we'll be finishing this sort of uh, mini-series of studies where we've been learning from Paul's prayer for the saints in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. And in part three today, we're going to be focusing on verses 22 and 23, but let's start reading in verse 15. We're going to read through that whole chunk of verses together, help keep the context of what we've been looking at. Starting in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of this calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So just a a reminder of the context. Starting in verse 15, Paul switched gears from what had been his primary focus in the previous verses where he had been Primarily just praising the Lord. That's really verses 3 through 14. He's just like blessing God. You've done this, God, and you've given us this, and you've done this in our lives. And, and he's including the believers he's writing to, but he's not, he's not really talking to the Ephesian church. He's going, God, you, look what you've done. What kind of God we have. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all involved in all of these amazing spiritual blessings that we've been given in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Switching gears from that to now letting the believers in Ephesus know that he thanked God for them, that he was continually praying for them and letting them know some of the details of what he was praying for as he prayed for them. And Again, as we've been saying, things we could say are for every believer. They're for us today. And so, Two weeks ago, we saw how this all kind of started. Paul got this report. They had faith in the Lord Jesus. He had love for all the saints. They're still trusting Jesus. Handful of years later, they still have faith in Jesus. I love how the Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. I just think about that kind of thought of Paul hearing this report that they're still following Jesus. Yeah, Paul, you, God moved you on and you continued on and now you're 
in jail, you know, in, in house arrest in Rome, but they're, they're still people of faith. Their faith is in Jesus Christ. They haven't, they've not been derailed by the things of this life. They haven't been derailed by the things that have happened to you. Because doesn't that happen at times? You see something going on in someone else's life and you're like, God, what are you doing? And you wonder where God's at because of a hardship that maybe somebody else is going through and it, and it affects your faith. And yet for these people, they're, they're, their faith was still in Jesus. It wasn't in Paul. It was in the Lord Jesus and they had love, agape, for all the saints. This led Paul to then give insight into what he was praying for, for them and for for us, praying for wisdom and revelation in spiritual matters, specifically in our knowledge of our glorious Father, that the eyes of our understandings, our hearts would be enlightened. All of this with the desire we would come to know our God more fully, this personal sort of intimate knowledge of God that would draw us deeper in fellowship with him. And Paul prayed these things for us and then asked that we would come to know really three specific things. That we would know what's the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And last week, we focused specifically on that third area of God wanting us to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, and then spend some time looking at some of the real-life implications that we didn't have time to even get all the way through as we looked at verses 19 and 20, uh, through 22. But with those things in mind, let's look at verses 22 and 23. He said, And he, speaking of, uh, speaking of the Lord, speaking of God, put all things under his, speaking of, specifically of Jesus, God the Son, put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we've seen the power of God, clearly. Paul is saying, look, like just consider Jesus' resurrection, his ascension to the Father's right hand, his, his exaltation far above all principality, power and might and dominion, every name that's been named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come, speaking of his exaltation over every being, over every authority, now and forever. But is also seen, his power is also seen in verse 22 in how all things have been put under Jesus' feet. Speaking of how he's been given complete dominion with everything being placed in subjection under him and is seen in how Jesus has been given to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. I just love this all. Paul keeps saying all and all and all and every. And it's like there's not one thing that Jesus is not over. Isn't that a great thing to know? Because how many things are over our heads? That we just go, this is just, 
it's beyond me. I can't handle it. I don't know that no one else, no government, no army, nothing. Like, we see things that are going on in our world. We're going, it's just, this is just, it's over us. This isn't like something we have control over. It's just, it's, as we look at the world scene, from our vantage point at least, oftentimes it seems out of control. And, and yet what we're reading here is that there's never anything, there's not one thing in the spiritual realm, the physical realm, through all of history, angelic, human, no matter what government, no matter what battle that's happened, there's not ever been one thing that's been over Jesus' head. There's not one thing that's ever happened, not one person in history where Jesus is going, I was sovereign over everything until just now. <laughs> I had everything under control until you came around. You know, like, until Satan rebelled. Like, not even that. Not even that. Everything is under his feet. And when you think of the head, that's the, the highest part of your body, right? Everything's under the head, Jesus. And I just love this. Like, this is the power of God. Clearly displayed, that's being described for us. God's mighty power, which again reinforces to us that the power God displayed in those things regarding Jesus is that same power he has toward us, and that is that work in us who believe. That's power. That's the kind of power that you and I don't have. We don't have it. It doesn't matter if it's the, you're the top person in government in any country. You don't have this kind of power. You could have access to every nuclear weapon in all of the world. You do not, you can't even come close to touching the kind of power that God says is at work toward us believe we are not a powerless people in and of ourselves in our flesh we lack power but we have God God is at work God is over all of these things over all the affairs of man over everything that's going on, over what's happening in your mind, in my mind, in the things that are happening in our lives. He's got us, and he has power for us. And there's encouragement here for us in that, isn't there? Even if I don't, even if everything's still over our heads, God, it's not over yours. But having said all that, notice in verse 22, he put all things under his feet. So we see under and gave him to be head over 
all things to the church. All things are under, and he is over. Which just, again, tells us there's nothing that isn't under the headship, the rule, the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus is supreme over all things. Now that word head carries the sense of a a person who is in charge, a a superior, a ruler, a leader. It's understood as, as a head, which is the uppermost part of a human body. That word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which speaks of an assembly of called out people. An assembly of called out people, which I just fits so well with knowing that we're a people, as Peter tells in his, in his first letter, that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were once not a people, but now are the people of God. Who had once not received mercy, but now have received God's mercy. We are God's assembly. We are God's people. He's called us out, out of darkness, to himself. And Paul tells us in verse 23 that the church is his, Jesus' body. Now, while these things are still very much connected to Paul describing the kind of mighty power that God has toward us who believe, I think we see another aspect here to Paul's prayer where these things are also still connected to Paul's desire, Paul's prayer that we would know God experientially and that in that desire, we would know who Jesus is to his church, to us, and who we are to him as a church, his body. And from this, we gain some insight into how Jesus views his church. First, clear here, Jesus is called the head. This is very intentional. Of all the things that Jesus could be likened to or called, if he was the foot, we would have all kinds of problems. We'd be walking all over Jesus. Well, he's just the foot. He's kind of stinky. We slap a shoe on him. He gets stubbed. He's the head. And and from this, we can gain some insight. We, We can look at the importance of a physical human head and draw some parallels to the importance of Jesus as our spiritual head. The, the, the physical, when we think of the physical of the human head, what do we see? Well, the head is the place of intelligence and thought, and decision-making, right? Because that's where your brain is, in the head. It's where impulses are sent through the nervous system to the rest of the body to control what the rest of the body does. Why, when someone has like a, an issue where like uh, they break their neck or something and their spinal cord is, is severed, the rest of the body loses all function because there's a disconnect from the head, right? The head is where four of our senses take place. 
sight, hearing, taste, smell. It's where our body's nourishment and hydration needs are taken care of through our mouth. And many of us are very thankful that we have it, right? When you have to go to a hospital and get an IV for your hydration needs to be taken care of, that's saying something is off. Something's not working right. Your body's not getting the kind of hydration that it needs. These things happen when there's stuff going on even with our head. And there are transplants for just about every part of the human body, right? They're even putting pig hearts, and and it hasn't so far been very successful, but transplanting things into, into your body, from someone else's body even, or even from someone who's not even, it's not even a human. There's replacement parts, prosthetics for limbs. And many parts of our body we can actually live without, even though it may really hinder our mobility or our function or, you know, our overall health. But there's no replacement for the human head. I even saw recently someone got a full face transplant, but not the head. We know Without the head, the body is dead. You can't live without your head. I'm not trying to be morbid or gross. Just true. But the parallel to the importance of Jesus as our spiritual head, from those physical things, we can gain some spiritual insights. It's Jesus' wisdom and knowledge and will that's accomplished when he's at the head of the body and not us. And things just work so much better when Jesus, his wisdom, his word, his truth is what's out in the forefront. He's the one that's accomplishing his will. It's not us. We're not implementing that. We're not trying to usurp Jesus's wisdom and his word with our own things or with the world's wisdom or philosophies. It's him. What he said, the body works properly. All the members respond and act in unison as Jesus by his spirit moves and empowers us. It's like that nervous system, if you will, in the body, the Spirit of God moving in us, also known as the Spirit of Christ. When Christ is at the head of the body, uh, when Christ is at the head, the body receives all the spiritual nourishment and hydration that it needs, not just to survive, but to thrive and to grow and to reproduce. And I wonder how many churches there are in this world who have themselves cut their own head, Jesus, off from their bodies and like a chicken having its head cut off might still have movement and things happening outwardly that look like life. 
but the life-giving source is gone, and their body, their, their local church fellowship is actually dead. May that never be true here. Who's at the head? It's got to be Jesus. So Jesus is the head. That, that's the reality here, what he's been given to the church. He, he's the head. But second, his church is called his body, which means that he doesn't see it as a financial institution or as a business or as an event that people come to to be entertained at. But he sees it as a living organism that he is directly connected to in inseparable oneness. It's his body. Check out what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. Paul writing says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So he's drawing a, 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 a picture from the human body. Look at, look at all these different members. You've got a nose and you've got ears and you've got arms and legs, hands, you know, toes and, and fingers and, and, and kneecaps. You've got all these members, but they're just one body. He says, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Wouldn't that be so weird? You just see eyes. It's an eye walking around. Ugh. Where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. So he's just... Like, hey, can we just consider how, how foolish, how, we, how weird it would be? And, and yet, how often do we see people feeling that sort of way? Well, I'm not that. So I'm not really useful. I'm, I'm not really valuable. I'm not really needed. He's going, look, like, we need every part. You can live without your big toe, but it'll throw your balance off. Just because you can do without something doesn't mean it's not so valuable and needed and important. And Paul's going, look, like just because you're not the eye, why are you looking at the hand and going, I wish I was that, and because I'm not that, my, I don't really have purpose. He's going like, we need you. We need you as an eye. We need you as a hand. We need the smelling. We need the nose that can smell. 
We need the ear that can hear. He goes on to say in verse 19, And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Some of you that have foot issues are going, no, I need my feet. I need it. And I need it to work right. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The body of Christ, the church, is made up of you and me. All who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And each of us clearly have a place, have a purpose, have a value in Jesus' body, his church. Jesus, as the head of the body, has chosen to use people like you and me to carry out his mission in this world. The church exists to preach the gospel to those without Christ, to edify, build up, and equip, and disciple those in Christ, and to bring glory to Christ. Paul, in our verses, is letting us know who's really the one in charge of the church. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is the head of his church And that phrase reminds us that we belong to him. This foundation was laid by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 as Jesus is walking through Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. We read this in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Some over the course of church history have have mistakenly looked at Jesus' declaration here, thought that Jesus is telling Peter he's the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on. This would be really disappointing if it was true when we know that Jesus is going to rebuke Peter and and call him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. When Peter's going to deny Jesus three times, Peter later needing to be rebuked by the Apostle Paul. Um, it would be really disappointing. Like, wow, this, the church has a really bad start. Like, we're not starting well here if Peter is the rock that the church is being built on. But it wasn't Peter that Jesus was going to build this church on, but Peter's massive confession of who Jesus was. That would be the foundation which the church would be built on, and that confession that Peter said just right before this is that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was the rock 
that Jesus would build his church on. Something else really important to take note of, uh, if you're not familiar with this, is that the first time the word church is ever even used in the Bible is here in Matthew 16, 18, coming out of the mouth of Jesus himself, and it's where Jesus says that the church is his and that he would build it. And so contrary to what some people in our world think today, the church is not the invention of man. Not the invention of man. It is the creation of Jesus, and there is no man who's in charge of it except for Jesus Christ himself. So for us, as a local branch, we're just a small little part of Jesus' overall church in this world. We don't, we're not, we don't have like the market cornered on Jesus' church. Like, we're it. I don't know who all those other people out there. Phonies. No, that's not it. This just reminds us. It reminds me continually. This church does not belong to me. It's not my church. This church is and always will be Jesus' church. And my calling as a shepherd is to love and feed and serve the people of God. That's all of you. Point all of us to the chief shepherd who's the head of this church. That's Jesus. Jesus, what a gift, has been given to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. But I love what Paul uh, also wrote about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. We'll show you that passage. He said this about Jesus there. He said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and notice he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So this one, this Jesus, who's to have the preeminence in all things, he's, he's to be first. He's to rank above all other things in our lives and in his church, who is clearly supreme over all things, is the one who's been given to be head over all things to the church. As we see in our passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, it's Jesus who also fills his church. Paul says that Jesus was given to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, Notice in Ephesians 1.23, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As John Stott wrote, the, the church is his body in that he's the one who directs it. And the church is his fullness in that he's the one who fills it. Where would we be if Jesus wasn't the one that was filling his church? If he wasn't the one that was doing all these things that you and I need and giving us the power that you and I require even to do the things that he's called us into as his people, if he wasn't the one who was filling us, we would be at a loss. 
to be going like, well, cool, I'm just kind of, we're, we're trying to do this thing. Jesus, you've given us a, this great commission. It's really great. Sounds really great, too. But unless he's the one filling us to be able to accomplish all of that, you and I are running, running on fumes. We'd be running off our own strength. We'd be running off our own wisdom. We'd be coming up with our own ideas about how things are supposed to go. It is completely crazy to me that there are churches in our world that are just kind of, they're doing all kinds of wacky things, thinking that this is the way the church is supposed to be done, when they have God's word that has told us how he wants his church to be led, what it's supposed to look like, the character and the conduct of the people within it, what our mandate is. Like, we don't have to guess at those things. He's already told us. And yet so often, we're the ones kind of filling in what we think are the gaps. We'll just supplement. We got this, Jesus. Thanks. And, and I would feel pretty strongly that none of us have ever said that. But our actions say it. The, the way that we approach things and people and situations says it. It says, I've got this, Lord. Thanks for getting me started. I, I'll take it from here. God forbid we would ever take it from here in anything. You know what we accomplish when we take it from here? Jesus is like, I would have done that much differently. And how often do we say that about Jesus? Jesus, I would have done that much differently. I wouldn't have done it that way, Jesus. And, and basically what we're saying is like, you were head over everything until then. Are our lives truly submitted under the headship of Jesus? Is he the head over all things in our lives? We're going, oh, but it's more like the church, the church at large, the church corporately, collectively. But you and I are members of that church. We all fall under this. We're all part of this. Each one of us is connected, again, inseparably in oneness to our head, Jesus. And so either he is the head or he's not. Either he's the one filling all things or it's us seeking to fill and to supplement and, and let me just bring in what I got. Let me bring what I'm, I got this thing, Lord, I'm gonna bring it in. And, and he's going like, let me be the head. Things are gonna work right. Your life's gonna flourish. Things are gonna turn out differently, not perfectly in, in our sort of human physical estimation because perfectly to us is, you know, I always get a raise, I always have a job, I always have, and I always have this, and my body's always feeling good, and my bank account always is growing, and that's perfectly to us. 
But we're not seeing things from heaven's vantage point. We're not seeing things from God's eternal perspective where he's going, yeah, but what I'm more concerned with is your internal and your eternal good. Jesus as our head is looking at things in his body and he's going, I know what's really going to be for your good. But so often we're going, it doesn't feel like it right now. I don't see it right now. And so our our view of our head starts to shift. Instead of going, Lord, maybe my circumstances are telling me differently. Maybe my emotions are telling me differently. Maybe the world around me is screaming differently. But Jesus, if these things are true of you, and they are, then Lord, I can rest as just a part of your body. I just get to be connected to you as the head and trust that Jesus, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. If he could just with a word speak everything into existence, do we not think that he can't just with a word do something radically in our lives? Show up in just a, a powerful way in our situations? Work in us internally? God's amazing. It, and we need to be able to see the gift that Jesus is to the church. He's the head over all things. And that, for us, should just give us the greatest comfort because he is supreme. He's supreme. And he knows what he's doing. Again, he's the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then you, you know, for me, I start reading some commentaries and I'm like, wow, there's some really interesting views on the interpretation of this verse. And so, as I read it and looked at some different things, um, found one that was very balanced and very biblical and contextual that I felt like really fit uh, most appropriately and correctly in this setting. And so I'm going to share that with you because uh, not only is it just a, a helpful quote it really helps to tie in kind of this whole entire chapter that we've been studying. And so the Bible knowledge commentary, which um, was not written by one person, there's multiple contributors, uh, said this about this phrase, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It says, though the final manifestation of Christ's headship over all creation will be in the future, he is now head over the fellowship of believers. He is also called the church's head in Ephesians 4.15 and 5.23 and Colossians 1.18. Though the church is implied in Ephesians 1.10, it is specifically mentioned for the first time in Ephesians in verse 22. The church is his body, verse 23. His body, the universal church consisting of all believers, is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
The meaning of this description of his body is difficult to determine. The verb fills can be taken passively, meaning that Christ, the head of the body, is filled by the church. That is, as the church grows, it completes Christ. However, it is better to understand the word fills as in the Greek middle voice. Christ, the head of the body, fills for himself the church with blessings. The verse could then be rendered, which is his body, which is being filled by the one who fills all things with all things. And in parentheses there, he says, blessings. This interpretation is preferred for three reasons. Number one, nowhere else does the New Testament state that Christ finds fullness from the church. Number two, this view fits the context well because the persons of the Godhead are completing the actions, compare with verse 10 of this chapter. And then number three, this view correlates well with chapter four, verses 10 through 11, which speaks of Christ giving all things, the whole universe is literally all things, namely, he say, or they say, gifted people to the church. This quote and the insights in it about how to interpret what Paul means when he says the fullness of him who fills all in all really helps connect things for us here in this first chapter uh, between Paul's praise to God in verses 3 through 14 and Paul's prayer for the saints in verses 15 through 23 when we see this connection of blessings. Paul praised God the Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ in verse 3. And then listed some of those blessings we received from the triune Godhead in the following verses. But now in Paul's prayer, he prayed that we would know God experientially, know these important facts, our calling, that we're God's inheritance, the exceeding greatness of his power, but ties it all together when pointing back to Jesus, the one who has given us access to all the spiritual blessings we've been given by the Father. Remember, they're in Christ. That we as a body, as a church, have a head, Christ, who fills us with his blessings, as we saw in that quote. So the blessings aren't just what we've received because we're in Christ. We've been blessed because we've been given Jesus. Just having him. Not even the things we get from him. Just him. Just having Jesus being given him. We're blessed. He fills us with blessings that just come from having him in our lives. Is knowing him. Jesus' church is the most blessed entity, if you would want to call it that. The most blessed assembly. We're the most blessed individuals in this world because he is our head and we are his body. And he's the one who fills for himself the church. That's us with his blessings. And so as we consider all that Paul has prayed in these verses, not only are these amazing and, and powerful things to pray for others and to pray for ourselves, Paul's prayer should lead us to praise. 
to lead us to praise. To praise Jesus as we recognize and come to know all he's done for us and in us and all he's still wanting to do in us and through us individually and as a body of believers. So on one hand, our response, we praise God for all he's done and all that he is doing. But on the other hand, we continue praying, Lord, please do these things in us and others and in others even more. And we can know that he wants to. Why? Because we see the heart of God in the prayer of Paul. These are things that are close to God's heart for you and me. That we would know him. We would know him experientially. The most that we can this side of heaven, that we would know him. To know along with that, that man, our calling is one of hope as we've been considering. That we're his inheritance. That when he looks at us, he's going, oh my gosh, look at this amazing treasure that I get to have for myself. And then he's going, look, like I've got power like you couldn't even believe. That's at work in you. There's so much for us to learn here from Paul's prayer. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. In closing, after looking at all these things, as I shared, that the right response from us is both prayer and praise. Ask God, God, do these things in me. God, do the, if you're married, God, do these things in my spouse. If you have kids, God, do these things in my kids. You've got coworkers, God, do, do it in them. Your friend group, your neighbors, God, do these things that they would know you. And, and maybe that the, just the first kind of intro to that is just going, God, I want them to just know your salvation. Maybe they don't know you personally, and we're praying for that. But that we would go, God, do this in me even more. God, I don't want to grow stagnant. I don't want to grow complacent in my walk with you, in my knowledge of you, in my fellowship with you. But God, I want to press in. And God, I want to see you do more and more of this in my life. And to have the confidence to go, and God, I trust that you're going to do it. Because this is your desire for me. And as we pray all that, at the same time we praise him. God, thank you. We look back, we go, God, thank you for all the ways that you blessed me. Every spiritual blessing. But that, God, you just blessed me with Jesus. That alone could just keep us just marinating in that place of praise every day, all day, for the rest of our lives as we consider who Jesus is. And that more and more, God would make us these people, both of praise and of prayer, 
who are light and salt in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this first chapter of Ephesians as we've been studying it, Lord. God, so rich, God, so much in here for us. God, not even plumbing the surface of the depths of how great uh, you are, Lord. About all these things that you're, you've told us in this first chapter through the pen of Paul. God, we want to just know you more. God, we want to be people who are confident, Lord, of that hope. The hope of your calling, Lord. God, a people confident, Lord, of the value that you've attributed to us, Lord. That we're your inheritance. be confident, Lord, of the power that you have toward us who believe. That, Lord, we'd be a people whose lives are submitted under the headship of Jesus. Lord, that you would fill us and keep filling. Lord, thank you that you are the one who fills God, that you are the one who supplies. God, that you are the one who wants to lead and and work by your mighty power in our lives, God. Lord, help us to see how amazing you are, Lord. We trust in your leading as our head, as a church, individually. Lord, help us to see, Lord, how you placed us in your body. Help us to embrace that, God. To see, Lord, that you didn't, you know, it wasn't accidental. That, God, you have placed us in your body as you please. That, God, you do have a purpose. You have a plan for our lives, God, that you want to use us, move us, lead us, and empower us. Lord, that each one of us would point others to you. Live for you, Lord. If there's anyone here today, and maybe you've just never first opened your heart to Jesus Christ to you all this talk about knowing him but maybe just that first part of you knowing him in having his salvation in your life maybe that part needs to be taken care of today for you if that's you would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning and you're going that's that's me I want I want Jesus in my life I want my sins to be forgiven I want my debt to be paid. I want my guilt to be erased. I want Jesus in me. Is that anyone this morning you're going, that's, that's me? Well, Lord, you see the state of each heart. God, you know this morning even things that maybe were shared, but maybe, maybe it was an unspoken thing, Lord. Maybe it was just something that you by your spirit 
spoke to someone's heart, had nothing even to do with anything that I said, but that, God, you would help us to, to meditate upon you, meditate upon your word. God, to continue to seek after you, Lord, to live for you and to see, God, all that we have in you. Lord, would you bless your people? Lord, would you continue, Jesus, to build your church here? At Calvary Chapel, Walnut Creek, Lord, continue to build your church, Lord, throughout this world. Lord, add to it those who are being saved. Lord, multiply the effectiveness of our witness and our influence in this world for you and your kingdom. Lord, help us to be a body that's united and not divided. That, God, we would have care for one another. That, Lord, when one suffers, we would all suffer with it. When one rejoices, we would all rejoice with it. That, Lord, we would be the kind of body that you called us to be. With you as our head. And, and God, if there was anybody today who just in their own heart, that maybe they were... They didn't want to raise a hand, but inwardly they're going, I, I need Jesus, Lord. Would you just be working in them? God, would they come to that place of just humbling themselves, Lord? Would they cry out to you and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Would you save me? Forgive me. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Would you put your trust in Jesus today, believing that he died on the cross Believing and professing that he rose from the grave. Inviting him to be Lord of your life. Lord, would you be working in those who are in that place today, God? Would you seal them with your spirit, Lord? Would you forgive them of all their sins, cleanse them of all their unrighteousness, Lord? Fill them today, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Commit this time of Praise to you, songs, Lord, in the taking of communion, in having opportunity to be prayed for by the prayer counselors in the back. Lord, continue to have your way, Lord. We thank you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.